I remember all the wind completely coming past me and all of a sudden a big massive roar from the crowd. Just that sensation, that feeling that like, people don't understand and don't get. I knew I was going to win from there. Welcome to Sport Inspires, a podcast recorded in collaboration with the Mary Peters Trust and made possible by the Coca-Cola Thank You Fund. Today's episode is with Michael McKillop, the four-time Paralympic gold medalist who currently holds the world record for the 800 and 1500 metre races. In this conversation, myself and Lady Mary Peters talk with Michael about what it was like being coached by his father at a young age, his current journey to the delayed Tokyo Games, and how he's dealt with cerebral palsy and mental health challenges along the way. Thanks so much for being here, and we really hope that you enjoy. things would probably be in my dad's arms at a race in Ballyclare after he like competed um, and I was just accustomed to athletics right from the start um, and he had just finished his race like I said and kind of watching all the other athletes finish that, that's kind of like where I first seen it and there's a guy called Jerry McCabe um, who's kind of like a stable within Northern Ireland athletics he he He's been around the block so long. He coached my mum whenever she was running as well when she was a teenager and and kinda he was kinda like a family friend. Mm. So like just stand, uh, being with him as well. Um kinda watching all the athletes run around. It was class. interesting. Yeah. So you came from like a family of runners then? Yeah, my mum was a very talented athlete, like underage level. She was all Ireland champion, same as my dad. So uh, like when my mom was 18 she finished third in the Belfast Marathon um, like these are small things that kind of people don't know about but like I was born into a half decent athletics family and even like my older sister ran for Northern Ireland when she was younger as well so yeah um, I just wanted to follow in the footsteps of, of them and kind of enjoyed the sport so would you have gone for like family runs and stuff <laughs> or like what what did that look like? No, no. Um, like when I was really, really young, like 10, um, I joined actually in athletics. My dad looked after the school team at Smalagus College, um, but I wasn't allowed to train with them because I wasn't in the school at the time. So I was like in primary school and I had taken up cross country and went in like uh, underage, like primary school races. And then I joined a club called RBAC, which is not in existence anymore. Um, but it was run by a, a man called Bobby Ray, who's passed away. But he was also a, a man within Northern Ireland Athletics that was like a hero. Uh, he took young, talented athletes and gave them opportunity. Paul Pollock was one of his athletes who's now at the Olympic Games. So, yes. like, it it is a crazy thing to think where I started and where I am now. Um, and so many people that have been involved within my kind of like journey. Um, and yeah, we like you go back so long to see how it all began and the wee things that you kind of done then do they actually help me now mm. um and like keep me in the sport um and i think joining my dad at smalky's school 
and um, probably was the turning point of me continuing it within the sport and not choosing a different sport itself. Wow. You use the word opportunity, and I think that comes through in most sports people's lives, that somebody somewhere gives you that opportunity. What would you say the best advice you've been given during your athletic career? My dad, always growing up, um, obviously with dealing with teenagers and, and kids and within school, because there's a lot of, um, the word I would like to probably say, influence within your school class or peer pressure or things like that. And um, obviously, my dad had to sell athletics, let's be perfectly honest. When we were back <laughs> in school, everyone thought the runners were like strange, weird people. Yeah, Why would you yeah, go yeah, for a yeah. run when you can go and run around and kick a football <laughs> or do whatever? So my dad had to sell it to kids. Um, and he was basically brought it in as a, a family orientated event. Um, yes, we were all individuals competing, but we were all having fun together. Mm. Um, like at the end of the season, my dad would take us like 40 school kids um, away on a family or like a family day trip in a way. Unbelievable. And we got to play rounders. We went to Leeds one year um, and he brought us to theme parks and just to give us a sense of achievement in a way. Because when you're young, you kind of you look at fun things to do as a kind of like something exciting, but the amount of hard work that we put in, but enjoyed every single moment of it because there was no pressure on you as way. Well. Mm -hmm. The only pressure that was put on was by yourself mm -hmm. and everyone supported you regardless. And that was kind of the, the one thing that I've learned is if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. Anything in life, absolutely anything in life. It doesn't matter if you're in business or your work or you're, you're doing sport. If you don't like it, don't do it. Unreal. It's, it's, it is a, a quite amazing. And, and at what stage in your life, Michael, did you realise you had a, a difficulty with cerebral palsy? Um, when I were kind of from an early age, I'd, I'd obviously growing up with it and being different and walking with a limp and not using my right arm and having to go to kind of um, hospital appointments quite regularly just for like gait analysis, just to see how my, my gait was changing while I was walking or um, I struggled with my education and my speech. So, like, I was at a speech therapist up until I was, like, age five um, and developing and kind of, like, my spelling and my maths. I had to go to extra classes and stuff. And that really was a turning point of me understanding that I was different. Um, and then when I joined big school, as I would call it, <laughs> I got I got bullied um, just because I stood out and I was different. Um, and the story I always tell is that, like, I remember getting verbally and physically abused by one kid in particular. And obviously, we all know that when bullies choose a particular person, there's obviously something in the background going on with them that they're possibly bullied or pressured at home or something like that. So um, whenever I realized that he was picking on me, I kind of got my uniform and threw it in the bin. Uh, at the age of 11, I said, I'm not going back to that school to my parents and they kind of, they did such an amazing thing that they just allowed me to go and play that weekend and enjoy all the football and everything in the street with my friends. Um, and then Sunday night they came in and they had the uniform sitting up and they're like, I was just like, I'm not going back to that school. Mm -hmm. um, and they sat down and they basically just said to me, don't allow someone to stop you from doing something that you want to do. And that's get your education and take part in athletics and sport within the school system. Um, 
And luckily, like I said, I ended up going to my dad's school a year later, which made it a lot easier because the bullies would stay away because uh, uh, they knew quite <laughs> rightly if they picked on Actual me, they had to deal with my dad. <laughs> um, and yeah, like that was the the first real understanding of, of being different. And I look back now and I kind of go, do you know what, if I had if no one really early on to accept my condition um, and realise that being different is a good thing because everyone's unique in their own special way and mm -hmm. for me having this disability has given me opportunities that I would never have mm -hmm. had if I was fully able-bodied. Yeah. So take us to 16 years old then and the, the big race. Yeah, World Championships, my first um, opportunity. I remember going um, and competing in both events, the 1500 metres and the 800 metres and Growing up, my I, I was a cross-country athlete within the school system and then obviously a longer distance is kind of on the track. Um, but within Paris Sport, they only have two events, the 815. And we went there as trying to run and win the 1500 metres and I ended up finished second to a guy called Jamel Mastery. He's a, a French Moroccan athlete and he, he was the world record holder and world... Uh, world champion from years past and I expected to go in and beat him just straight off the bat yeah. that's just ignorance of a 16 year old <laughs> um, and uh, I came came away with a silver medal and I disrespected the sport in a way because I took my spikes off and was like a teenage stroppy kid and <laughs> threw them down in the grass and said that was crap to my dad and stuff like that and he's kind of like don't do that to my sport you have to really understand that if you get beat, you have to take it with respect and and the other athletes beat you because they're better on the day. You've got three days to prove yourself wrong if you want if you think you're better than everybody else. Well then you have to go qualify through the heats in the eight hundred and then race in the final. And I qualified through the heats in the eight and then um in the final I was fifth fastest going in. Um and no one expected me because I was just new on the block. And I remember coming up against the world record holder from Ukraine in the 800 metres. Um, and I just ran, went past him, coming with 150 metres to go. And I just was running the fastest that I ever ran. My PV going into it was like 205. And I ended up running 202. And over three, oh, three seconds over 800 metres, quite a lot. And um, obviously because I was a developing kind of teenager, kind of like... You make jumps within younger athletics that pushes you on to quicker times. And yeah, coming away with that gold medal was my first step into the world of proper para sport because I was already world champion at 16. And it doesn't happen for many people. Um, and for me, I had expectations moving forward after that, but um, I wouldn't change it. <laughs> But parasport is quite complicated for people like me that are not totally involved in it because of the mm -hmm. categories that, that there are for each event mm -hmm. and for each disability. Yeah. Can you give us an idea of how that all works? Yeah, it's broken up into obviously kind of different conditions like um, facial impairment or um, like spinal injuries, wheelchair kind of... Uh, categories and uh, amputation or kind of missing limb category and then um, cerebral palsy category which I think is like category broken up so the higher the number the less disabled you are okay um, so like for like Jason Smith for instance 
He's vision impairment. So there's three different categories. There's completely blind, um, less than 5% vision, and then less than 10% vision. And Jason's in the T13 category, which is the, the highest of the three. Um, um, I'm, in, I'm in the category of T37, so the cerebral palsy or brain injury. Now they've changed kind of the classification. Um, it's like from 34 to 38. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm in the second mildest class of my disability. So um, it is very, very, very confusing. It, it all depends on kind of medical tests in a way um, and visual, uh, looking at how someone will run with their condition or or, or push with their condition and, and see how much trunk control they have within a wheelchair or how much strength they have in their muscles to be able to push the wheelchair along. It It is very complicated, but whenever you get the hang of it. And I think the one thing that was really good in 2012 was when Channel 4 created this uh, categorization of explaining it in the simplest forms. Um, and then that, because I think people don't pay or are not interested in parasport because they don't understand it. It's not that they don't want to watch it. And we've seen that in 2012 because we had full stadiums. We were 65,000 seater stadium in London and then there was no seats free. Um, so for me, they got it because it was explained correctly. It's it's like going into a maths class. If you don't understand, you can't do it. <laughs> and then you you get disinterested, and then yeah, you yeah, just yeah. don't want to do it. You don't engage. Whereas now that uh, people can understand it better, they can engage with it, they can get involved in it. And I think Team GB is in a way have really set the bar high on how people perceive para sport now. It's not disabled people taking part in sport it's elite athletes mm. that may have a disability um, and the structure they have in place is amazing and they go to the same training venues they have the same access to coaches and we've got a long way to go within the, the island of Ireland and, and that's a, one of the factors that I hope to change in the future of of my life whenever I retire that I can bring that to the table and say how has this not already happened? Mm-hmm. You see the blueprints of other countries and what they've done. Why can't you go back, and sit down and think, right, how can we achieve similar format to them that brings all the island together with yeah. regards to understanding of the condition and having the same kid as the able-bodied Olympic athletes and having that sense of team instead of, oh, there's the Paralympics team and then there's the able-bodied yeah. Olympic team. I just want to be known as Team Ireland mm-hmm. um, and hopefully down the line I can influence that as much as possible. It's awesome. So, you know, that race at 16 was 2006. That's like, what, you mentioned Maz earlier, it's like 21, no, 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> 15 years. Like, how do you, or how have you gone about, like, sustaining your career? Because it's like you peaked, and I use the term peak loosely, like at such a young age, like mm-hmm. you, you won such a big title at so young. Like, how do you maintain interest in the sport? How do you keep yourself safe from injury? How do you keep yourself going? How do you manage your expectations while walking through the condition that you have as well on top of all that? Yeah, it's strange. It's it's a balancing act, really, because with age, my condition doesn't, like, I wouldn't classify it as getting worse, yeah. but uh, my muscles are kind of not the same strength obviously with everyone with age they they lose the strength the power the, in the muscles but like regards down to my uh, disability on my side um my condition is affected on my right side so like the muscle tone muscle definition muscle strength um is completely different to my left and 
people have done studies to say that like the muscle damage, the muscle fatigue and stuff, it would probably be 10 to 15 years older than my other side. So wow. I'm 31 now, so I'm technically on my right side of my body. My muscles are around 40 to 45, whereas on my left, I'm a 30-year-old able-bodied athlete. So it, it's trying to play that into being able to perform at a high level without risking injury, um, mega fatigue on one side, and then you're having to compensate. But my dad is the reason why he's my coach and he's the reason why I'm still in the sport because he's made sure that I progressed gradually. Uh, there was no major rise and no major change in terms of my performance. It was bit by bit each year I was getting better. Um, and obviously with age, you get the point of, your, like you said, a, a peak. And I would say that's probably 2013 when I ran my quickest times across 1,500 metres. Like I was running times way, way quicker than anyone I was competing against. And it's now where I'm obviously at the age of 31, seven years or eight years on and I'm still competing. Um, but I'm competing against guys that have progressed because the sport's progressed. Um, I was in an able-bodied setup. Power athletes, again, in other underdeveloped para programs were not savvy to using able-bodied athletes because people judged them as, oh, no, you can't train with able-bodied people. Mm. Whereas I didn't have that. I had an able-bodied coach. I was training with able-bodied people, and they pushed me to, to my absolute limits. So it made it a lot easier um, with, with that. But I think moving forward, even now, I've overcome a major Probably my biggest injury yet was I had a sportsman hernia um, on my, kind of near my right groin. And then when they opened me up, they realized that it was worse than I thought. And my groin was kind of coming away from kind of the older muscles. And I, I, since I've repaired that, I've been able to build back up. And in a way, I'm not glad that the pandemic came, but it has given me that year or mm. Tokyo being canceled. It's given me that extra year that I really needed to kind of progress within my fitness levels and I'm running as quick as I was in 2014. Wow. Um, so that is a real stepping stone for me. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. <laughs> wow, I would have really suffered if my Olympics had been delayed by a year and and obviously for you it was... Um, it helped you because it, it let you recover from your injury, but it must have been a shock to know that the games were going to be delayed for a whole 12 months. It was a shock because up until, I think, the end of March, they still were going ahead. And there was athletes that hadn't trained, hadn't been in facilities, they still were not going to get into facilities that really didn't grasp the understanding of, what if this doesn't go ahead? Mm. And there's some athletes that were basically banking on 2020 being their last year and not going any further because for females, they wanted to have kids. That was their last opportunity. Uh, some people were like probably injured kind of in the last couple of months in the build-up, but they were like, oh, well, it's Olympic Games or Paralympic Games, I'm going to go. Yeah. And then it's a point where actually I can't go any further. So there has people, there has been athletes that have missed out on the opportunities. Like I know some of the like women's hockey team there's girls that have picked up injuries in the last year that don't get to go to the Olympics but last year would have been going to the Olympics because they're key elements in that team aspect so it's really really unfortunate but like I said going back to me and being selfish it was 
really, really, really key that I got that extra year because, like I said, I'm running really quick. Um, well, not really quick, but very, very good in comparison to the last couple of years. Um, and that's given me a, a, a kind of like a bit of a confidence booster because currently I'm going third into into Tokyo um, on, on times based. And if I come away with any sort of medal at these championships, I would be absolutely over the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with it is I've lost my category completely with my events. And I don't think people are probably expecting me to go to, to Paralympic Games and I'm going to come home with gold regardless. But it's completely changed nowadays that... Um, I'm in the category above competing against these guys that are running superior times to me, but that doesn't kind of put me in. It puts me obviously in a disadvantage in a way, but mentally it's it's a, a challenge, mm-hmm. and I've never backed down from a challenge. and And for me, that kind of excites me to prove people wrong, um, and I've proved myself wrong because I've doubted myself so much over the last number of years and thinking. I'm not going to get back to that shape. I'm not going to be able yeah, to compete yeah, yeah. against these guys. And, and thankfully, I'm at that stage where I've put myself in the right positions. Mm-hmm. I've done everything correctly. I've I've adapted. I've changed things to make sure that I'm in, in the best possible shape because these guys are, are young guys that are only 24, <laughs> 25. They're, they're the, where I would have been, kind of. And it's now not that. I, I'm, I'm six, seven years older than them and all. And yeah. I'm still there fighting to want to win medals and whenever it's like Brownlee brother like yesterday I was watching the triathlon he said I'm only going to go to Tokyo if I think I can win a medal and that's exactly the same with me if I wasn't competitive I wouldn't do it mm. I've been there and I've done that yeah you've already got four <laughs> which is three more than me oh, <laughs> um, and I've followed your career all the way through and I I'm very confident that you'll come back with a medal because you've got the mindset. What was the most uh, valuable to you personally, not in monetary terms, but what what made you the happiest? In terms of the medals, I think the most important one for me was 2016. 2015, I broke down with a mental health issue and didn't know if I was going to go to 2016 because I didn't know what place I was going to be. I've seen a psychiatrist. I dealt with it quite um, aggressively in a way because that's how I deal with things. If something's a problem, I get get into it deep yeah. um, and I sort it out as quickly as possible. If I find a problem, I, I deal with it. And I think that was... I hadn't dealt with it for five years. Um, I did, well, no, 2011 really started it, but... Um, I hadn't dealt with it and that's not like me, but I think mental health is not like anything else. Mm-hmm. People struggle within, with, in silence for so long and it either gets to a breaking point or you're strong enough to kind of speak up about it and, and talk to someone or sadly you lose people that mm-hmm. don't have that small bit of strength that kind of a lot of people now are starting to show because it's not the norm yeah. and especially within young men in a way it's macho macho mindset and I can't be seen to be in weak or 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 sad or crying or because like crying is is not a manly thing to do supposedly yeah um, allegedly but allegedly yeah and, and for me that's all I did for years yeah it was lying in my bed and kind of think to myself how am I going to get through the next day how am I going to mm-hmm. go out in my next run because whenever you're um Dealing with it, and especially in athletics, you go on runs on your own. Mm-hmm. And, and there was times where I was running along and I, I just couldn't mentally 
gather in my thoughts what I was actually doing because I was just so not messed up because that's a, a very rude term because there's people probably listening to this that are struggling as well but um, I just didn't feel correctly mentally stable I wasn't yeah. happy in myself and and thankfully in 2015 that that speaking about it gave me a platform to feel happier mm-hmm. not perfect in, in Rio um, and going there and winning that medal summed up that with a little bit of heart belief drive love for life mm-hmm. that you can still achieve things whenever things are tough and we all know about things that are tough currently with the pandemic and losing loved ones and not getting to go on their summer holidays that people love to go on each year and not being able to go and see family members and maybe losing people and not being able to go to their funeral and I think starting to struggle um, and trying to achieve things is is probably the the element that I enjoy within sport because there's so much ups and downs and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, whenever you achieve something out of a, a negative it, it kind of brings back the, the passion and love for what you actually do in life. Totally. That's an important message though to um, people who are listening who perhaps have problems that they need to talk about it. Yeah. And especially young men oh, to get yeah. out there and, and tell somebody, who did you tell? I... I made an appointment. It was funny because I made it, I went to the doctors and made an appointment and I asked for my letter to be diverted to like a text message and the doctor kind of privately texted me and said, well, I have an appointment, come and see me. And then whenever they referred me to uh, the psychiatrist, just to kind of give me an understanding of what, what is, how am I feeling or what, could they categorize it or could they help me mm-hmm. in any way? Um, and... They told me that the condition, it was a regular thoughts. It was mm-hmm. kind of the, the processing, processing of information. Um, and like I said, I still deal with it today, but sure. I know how to deal with it. it. That doesn't affect me. It doesn't put me in a bad in a bad way anymore, thankfully. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's one of them ones where you're, you're living a lie for so long mm-hmm. when people... I think especially for me in a way because people just see me as a happy-go-lucky guy and I had that world champion kind of mentality yeah. of, oh, I can't be seen as negative. Um, and whenever it did come out, I think people were shocked of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people can be shocked because there's so many people 100%. that are 100%. in the public eye that are going home and crying to themselves. Yeah, And uh, I, I've spoken to so many people over the years and... I know businessmen, especially, because they're under so much pressure of being a high executive within a job and getting into cars and crying them, crying their their way home, mm-hmm. um, and getting to the door and putting the key in the door and walking into their family and having to wipe away the tears and pretend everything's fine. Yeah. Um, and like some of my friends' parents have have passed away th- through it, so I've kind of learned mm-hmm. to speak up, and I've lost friends as well. Totally, man. There is that kind of breaking point moment oh, yeah. where like everything falls apart and you finally get the help that you need. But then there is, as you were saying, there's that ongoing piece as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to know like after, I don't, I think you said 2015, like yeah. what are some of the things that you do now in your day-to-day life or your week-to-week life to kind of stay on top of that and manage that? <sighs> Talk, Nicole. Yeah? Yeah. That's only, that, that, that for me is the my safety blanket. Okay. It's like if I feel like I'm wavering or I'm kind of like struggling or kind of something's getting on top of me. I mm-hmm. just go, Nicole, I just don't feel great. I don't yeah. feel well. Um, and I, I suffer from epilepsy as well. So 
I kind of have. <laughs> I have a lot going on. He's That's the thing. Yeah. Michael. <laughs> um, so yeah, like f- the re- kind of the not the annoying thing, but with the medication I'm on for my epilepsy, it's also used for a, it's an antidepressant as well. So yeah. side effects. Nah, and I'm I'm not blaming it to the medication, sure. but it's a contributing factor to it. So. Like whenever I kind of feel anxious and panicky and worrying when your brain or your head kind of just fills and you're kind of like, I can't, I can't stop thinking. I would like, I would kind of get sensation down my right hand that kind of feels like a seizure, but it's not obviously not. It's just me kind of panicking. It's kind of me worrying and getting on top of myself. Um, And I just kind of be saying, like, go sit down, Mm -hmm. read a book think of something else yeah. kind of do something yeah. at the start it was kind of like comfort me and kind of when I was crying but I don't I don't do that anymore it's kind yeah. of like I know my keys I know I know what to do and not not to do yeah. um and yeah taking up reading has probably been a big thing as well because you're engrossed and I'm not like a, a futuristic book type <laughs> or stuff. I like reading about like leadership and business and co- the corporate sector. And so yeah, stuff I was really like surprised that. when you sent through your favorite book was the Harvard Business School series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. very case study heavy. Isn't oh it? yeah, this is all yeah. based on kind of like um, professors and stuff. Their aspects on different key elements of like hard empathy within kind of the business sector and the executives and how to deal with that. And awesome. for for me, that's kind of what I would love to do. Obviously, I don't have any qualifications for technically in a way <laughs> yeah. for because I've I've given up my whole life for for my athletics and whenever I walk away because I'm so performance driven, like I couldn't go into a workplace, sit behind a desk, and listen to someone mm. tell me to do something mm-hmm. just for the sake of doing it. Like I that that mentally would just really yeah, yeah, yeah. grave. I don't know what the word is, but. Um, it would just not sit well with me because I would just automatically pick out the faults mm-hmm. and want to deal with the faults straight away. <laughs> sure. Whereas people kind of, and I understand that I fully get it, and probably people are listening to this and you don't know what you're doing because you've never had a job, but <laughs> people obviously go to work to get a living yeah. and leave at five o'clock and they park the bus there. Yeah. I can't park a bus when I'm an athlete. Sure. So I won't be able to park a bus if I've got work. So if I'm doing something or I want to correct something or I want to change something, I want to deal with that until it's dealt with, then I'll stop. Um, and I, I think it's just a sense of what I feel like I could bring to any corporate business yeah. is the ability to become a leader. Because being a manager is one thing, yeah. but becoming a leader is a completely different thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's being able to create a culture within the business that you're in mm-hmm. that gets people it's kind of like the pipe piper kind of like bringing out the snakes out of out of Ireland or whatever whoever did that <laughs> it's kind of like you want you want people to get you as as a person yeah. and then they will open up to you and will agree with you and then will be more willing to work with you um, and work with the organisation if, if they see someone in that role that they can really relate to mm-hmm. and yeah well, you're the most famous and well-known Paralympian in Ireland, and, and you've received an honorary doctorate, and you also have an MBE. Yeah, What's not bad. Like, I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> it's, it's fu- yeah, it is funny. It, 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 like, these are the things that never in my life did me personally, did my family ever expect to come out of me running around the track. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Like that honorary doctorate in 2013 was kind of funny because it was the same year Nicole graduated. Um, 
from from her degree. So fly. <laughs> so she she graduated the next day. I, so I got inducted, obviously, as a, an honorary doctorate and got my PhD. And I think I always go on Google and go, yeah, you got a degree, but my PhD is <laughs> way, it, it's above yours. Even though, even though she, like, worked four years to get her degree in actuary. And obviously, actuary is quite a difficult uh, degree to get. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's a rolling thing. I've never went to university, but I've already got a degree. Yeah. Um, and then, the, obviously, the MBE for me, didn't expect it because, <laughs> I, I, well, for me, I automatically thought it was kind of like, not, not not the political side of it, but kind of the, I've ran for Ireland, so sure. do I deserve to, to get that? But it was kind of the same as the, the gold post box in a way. Um, people thought of me as a, a Northern Ireland athlete as well as a, an Irish athlete. And that, that made me feel good because it kind of made a sense that people respect who I am and what I stand for. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I talked about, there's no place in sport for politics. So uh, I've always enjoyed the fact that I can get the accolades that I, I think I believe that, not that I deserve, but would go to other athletes in my situation if they competed for GB. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to be recognised in, in that platform. And I think Mary had something to do with it as well. So <laughs> made it a lot even more special. So for, for, for me to have that after my name, it's it's letters, but the meaning is deeper than just letters. Do they, is this a gold... Postbox still in Newtonabek? It is. It's still there. Um, and as far as more, it's going to be there forever. So for me, that's uh, a, a quite a, a unique and a, a different thing. Um, what is that for the people who aren't aware? Yeah. So after London 2012, any Olympian from TGB um, was given a, a gold postbox for their, their local community. Um, but through people within the Northern Ireland government and stuff, they basically push for other athletes from the island of Ireland that live in Northern Ireland um, that competed for Ireland to have their goalpost box done as well. And it nice. was kind of like a really nice touch and it brought the communities together in a way. And and that's what I'm all about. It's it, it, Sport is, there's no place in sport politics, only whenever you really, really need it to, to help you get something or, or do something. But that's in a positive way. But um, think, uh, having that showed that people respected who I was as mm. as someone that lived on the island but I've represented Northern Ireland in the past in athletics as well so I kind of can justify it in a way yeah 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 100% <laughs> but Michael you've always given back to the trust which helped you in your early days and we're always grateful for that for supporting us but um, my next question is where do you keep your medals? <laughs> my world European medals I do not know. My parents might have a few of them. <laughs> my European medals, they could be in a drawer somewhere. My Paralympic medals, a uh, completely different story. They're in a safe um, and they're locked away. Um, they don't really come out to see daylight. Um, and I just keep them under wraps. And yeah, if people want to see them, we'll show them. Like like to me, and I, I'm sure yourself, Mary, as well, like the medal is really special, but it's not special in a way to you personally because it's more for the people. Mm. It's kind of like you have the memories of coming along that track, getting over that high jump bar and the hurdles in the last sprint. And I'm re-watching that video so many times, but <laughs> there are the moments that, in my personal opinion, no one gets the experience. Um, I still remember the wind in the 800-meter final, making my move and going down the back straight and come around the bend. And I remember all the wind completely coming past me and all of a sudden a big massive roar from the crowd. 
and from thir- 300 metres out, which is three quarters of a lap of a track for people that don't know kind of the distance of a track, and I knew I was going to win from there because nothing was going to come past me. Just that sensation, the feeling that the people don't understand and don't get, um, that's the best feeling. What about the world records? Are they as important to you as your medals? Yeah, because it's a, a kind of I'm a, I'm a history maker in a way. Um, no one can take away your medals. People can take away your world records. But <laughs> for me, I, what I've tried to do in my career is run as quick as possible to create records that people won't, won't touch. Um, until this day in my category, no one's touched it yet. Um, will some people in the future break them? Probably. Um, but till this day, I broke more record in uh, 2013 for the 800 metres and my, my, my 2012 1500 metre PB was set in the Olympic Stadium. So these are two ones that have been there stand for quite some time so far and the longer that goes on the nicer it kind of feels. <laughs> um, it's a good wine, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is, it's ageing and but I, I hope I, in a way I hope someone breaks it because then it shows the development of the sport is getting better. Um, and I think also like the likes of Usain Bolt and people like that would also agree that the fact that um, seeing people achieve things that people say were impossible to achieve is also an, a nice factor to look back on. Yeah. Michael, I still have mine because they changed the event. Oh, well, there I was going to say, when you said, yeah, no one gets them, I said, yeah, except for Flippin' Mary Peter. <laughs> yeah. On a technicality, unbelievable. Yeah, no, well, you can always say that. And that, that that's, the, that's the best thing about it. Um, but, well, technically, no one can, t- well, they can because um, you're classified in in your category, but because I have I have to run against the milder guys. Even yeah. though I'm a T thirty seven, the category is a T thirty eight race. So if I'm going to race in that, I kind of have to jump up. Yeah. So there is people within my category that could run it. Yeah. But um, I, I thought I had one there with Mary, but no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked work. to us about the road to Tokyo then, because it is it's approaching pretty quick. You know, you fly out on uh, the twelfth of August. Yeah. You're competing on the fourth of September. Like, how are you getting ready for that? He's chasing talk- glory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For 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 me, it, it it started it started after I had my surgery, um, in twenty eighteen. I know I know that sounds cliche, or, or, or kind of. I've had lots of holidays. I've had lots of breaks since, and I've I've enjoyed myself. And I, again, it's it's a mentality of oh, I've got fifty days to go to Olympics. I'm going to make everyone count. You're not. You're going to have your chippy. You're going to have your hol- You're going to have your day off. You're going to go away. Your family. You're not going to think of athletics on that day, and and that's the one thing. Whenever I'm on, I'm on. Whenever I'm off, I'm off. Mm. Um, and I, I like that mentality of of being able to switch off because no one can focus that intensely for so long. But I think people will have a different attitude to me. Um, but I think the preparations have gone really, really well. I'm just back from two weeks in Portugal where I was switched on for them two weeks. Um, everything went to plan. Everyone went to touch wood. No injuries I came home with. No no illnesses, no COVID. So mm-hmm. I, I'm in the right spot. But like you said, I'm, I'm home now for two weeks. I've got two races left. And, and then I fly to, to Tokyo. And it's funny looking at the dates. I'll be flying home in six weeks today wow. from Tokyo. Oh, wow. It's all over. Six mm-hmm. weeks today, it's all over. And is that you retired then? I will categorically say if I win a medal, it, I will carry on for another year. If I don't win a medal, more than likely, unless I find a way of being funded or supported in the monetary value. Because 
it, go, it goes deeper than just competing now. For me, I've got a family to look after and if I can't support them with the monetary value and the funding that I get, then I can't justify it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's being able to go and get a proper job that will be able to pay my mortgage, to be able to pay the car payments and, and the electric bills and stuff like that. So for me, if I don't win a medal, more more than likely, um, I'm happy to walk away. It's not, I'll be sad to walk away because I believe I can win a medal in Tokyo. But if I don't, more than likely, that is the, in a way, only option. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I would love to continue on the sport, but I think uh, if I'm not winning medals, I didn't win a medal in 2019 World Championships. Um, it was a risk going there. Um, but if I don't win a medal in that's kind of three years that I've not won a medal in a, in a way, I've been to two championships and maybe it's just not meant to be anymore. And it's having the confidence to walk away when you know that you're not, not that you're not good enough, but you're not winning medals. So you kind of can't justify it anymore. And I think as well to Nicole, it's not very fair that I'll continue to chase and chase and chase medals whenever they're not coming mm-hmm. and whenever they're not coming then you just kind of smile and and say thank you and then walk away and, yeah. and and like I said I have ambitions to to do a lot of different things after I retire from athletics and um, that's the things that excite me more than kind of medals now in a way because it's enjoyable to go and compete because it's my day job and I and I love athletics and I'm involved in it but again, the excitement of the possibility of after also is kind of intriguing. And whenever you have that feeling, then you kind of know you're closer mm-hmm. to the end than you are that's at right. the start. And mm-hmm. and I, and I, and I that, that's not me saying that I'm not interested at all because I'm fully 100% all in. I'm putting all my bets in on Tokyo. Like I said, I've done everything right. And yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be an exciting chance to perform. In an amazing stadium, unfortunately, with no fans, but um, it'll be an ob- absolute opportunity to go there and to perform at a fourth Paralympic Games as well. Not many people can say that. 100%. Um, and to to be able to walk away with that would be also an, an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. So you touched on it slightly there, but uh, it almost sounds like heretical to talk about it now, but life after sport, whether it's six weeks or whether it's six months or six years, yeah, like what is that uh, second mountain in your life that you're looking forward to? Uh, I would love to start my own like leadership motivation business mm-hmm. um, to work within the corporate sector, not just within one business. I want to work with loads of businesses to show that the key elements that I've learned within sport can relate to business mm-hmm. and to make them understand the key things to success. Um, and they, they are so transferable; people don't actually believe. Um, and obviously, I have to learn up on the business side yeah. to basically correlate and bring it into business language in a way because there's no talking me. You go, oh, yeah, running around that track's really hard. People are not going to really <laughs> get that. It's talking about making uh, new strategies within a business um, and being able to follow them and, and then being able to break them down into, like I always talk about, uh, a major thing within my sport is communication ability, mm. like people skills. If you can't talk, you're not going to be able to compete at a high level because you trust and believe in so many people and my team in a way. So I think whenever you're in business, you, everyone has a common goal and that's to make the business work. Mm-hmm. And if that new strategy doesn't work, what, what's what's making a breakdown? And if you can't communicate that to one another, then the business is going to flop. So yeah. I think 
I would like that to be my next achievement and goal. And I know there's so many people out there that do it, but I think it can bring a unique factor to it that kind of that um, people will actually stand up and pay attention because I think obviously business leaders, people can go to university and, and pick that up, but they haven't had the experience that I've had through the, the hardships of growing up with a disability, being different and uh, and being at the top of my game and understanding the the ability to pr- process at an elite level but also deal with pressure. And again, business, it's a pressure game. If you're not good at pressure, then you're going to flunk. So, yeah, I, I believe that that could be a stepping stone. Obviously, you need people to support you and back you and invest in you and Maybe someone out there <laughs> to do that, then, yeah, uh, that would be what I would love to do. Amazing. And I, I read on your website earlier, just before you came, you know, not everyone else can bring that wee bit of gold dust as well. You know, that's important. That yeah, yeah, it's a bring. sprinkling on top that you might have something that's 99% perfect, yeah. but it's not perfect until it's 100%. And if I can bring that last element to success, then mm-hmm. like so many people have done to me, then I, that 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 for me will give you an opportunity for people to feel the the feeling that I get when I cross the line first. Mm, so awesome, man! Um, final question. It's a question we've been ending all of these conversations on, and it's, it's just a bit of a fun one. If you could take anyone from Northern Ireland out for a cup of tea, dead or alive, who would you take? Where would you take oh, them? Obviously, we'd have to have Mary. <laughs> there. That's not fair. You're doing this after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dreams are coming through as we yeah, speak, yeah. folks. <laughs> well, if, if I had some, do, do you know what? It's it's a funny one. Um, go on. I I loved like do, do you know it's funny like probably one and I I've went out for drinks just for the sake of personality, fun. I can't probably choose one, but the athletes that I work with day in day out one stands out probably Danielle Hill who's also an oh, ambassador for uh, <laughs> Mary Peters Trust but like I've been at Christmas drinks with her and she's just an absolute <laughs> character and she's and uh, there's so many like like James Edgar um, Claire Taggart we all went to, and Claire Taggart obviously is in a wheelchair um, she probably people probably stare at her and stuff but she's one of our good friends that we socialize with mm. and we get like the, like two years ago when we were in Dirty Onion uh, Belfast <laughs> for our Christmas kind of celebration like Claire is in a motorized uh, wheelchair but we just stood around her and we had so much fun and Plus. and I think the athletes that I've grown up with are the people that I would want to spend time with and, and go maybe not coffee with but <laughs> um, but like I don't drink alcohol but for them to kind of express themselves because like I said, there's so much dedication put in the sport that they don't get to let their hair down. They don't get to express themselves in different ways. Um, and I think that's the one thing through sport that you get to see so many different characters. And mm-hmm. I think that would be the people I would like to hang about with. Awesome. Well, Michael, this has been absolutely legendary. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. It was class. Thank you so much. Love being with you again. Thank you, Mary. Success in Tokyo, and I want to see your medal when you come home. (laughs) I'll do everything in my part to to be able to bring home a medal. Um, And I I genuinely, truly believe that I can win a medal um, with the form that I'm in. So, yeah, there's a high possibility, but I'll not guarantee it. (laughs) Being realistic is the key to, to sometimes success as well. 
Sport Inspires is a Best of Belfast production, recorded in collaboration with the Mary Peters Trust and made possible by the Coca-Cola Thank You Fund. To find out how you can support and develop future Northern Ireland athletes, please visit marypeterstrust.org to donate today. Or you can join our 200 Club, where your £5 monthly donation enters you into a £350 cash draw every month. Thank you so much for listening today. Hope you enjoyed it as I did, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of the day. <laughs>